It's Christmas! Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all. Welcome to Merry Britsmas. I'm your host, Adam, and this is the podcast that covers all things Christmas from a British perspective. I'm going to be reviewing and discussing British Christmas specials and episodes from classics such as Father Ted and Blackadder through to oddities such as Black Mirror and Inside Number 9. Also, each episode, I'll take a look at the history of a British Christmas tradition or invention, as well as a British Christmas song. I'll even hopefully introduce you to some rare covers of some of these tracks to add to your Christmas canon. So, let's get started. Our opening segment each week will be a discussion, review and possible recommendation of some very British Christmas episodes or specials. And I'm starting with one of the most British sitcoms of the last few decades, The Royal Family. For overseas listeners, The Royal Family follows The Royal Family, as in a family of working class people, with the surname R-O-Y-L-E, not the Queen, Charles, Will and Harry. The family consists of ever-grumpy dad Jim, played by Ricky Tomlinson, an overworked mother in Barb, Sue Johnston, their son, Anthony, Ralph Little, and daughter, Denise, the late great Carolina Hearn, along with her husband, Dave, Craig Cash. Various recurring guests such as Neighbours and the wonderful Nana drop in throughout as we see a snapshot of their lives each episode, all centred around watching television on the sofa, grumbling about everything, and making, usually, good-natured fun of one another. The Royal Family had a number of Christmas specials, and I'm going to start with the very first, which came in between the second and third series. The special continues a very important plot point from the previous series, with Denise pregnant with her and Dave's first baby, with her due date incredibly close as the family celebrate Christmas Day. Ooh, that advocate! Don't half make me sleepy, Barbara. Mm. Does it? Would you like another one, Norma? (laughs) The family are all around mum and dad's, as usual, wearing paper crowns after their Christmas dinner. Their attitude to life is summed up wonderfully when Anthony, the youngest son, talks of going over to his girlfriend's house, where they are going to play games after dinner. Will you be staying late, Anthony? Yeah. But after they've had the dinner, I always play charades, you know, and pile of games and that. (laughs) (laughs) Pile of games! (laughs) (laughs) Is the telly broke? (laughs) (laughs) Pile of games, my ass. Jim is on his usual grumpy form, claiming that the millennium is a swizzle and a con to get more money out of him, persuading Nana to leave as soon as possible, and declaring Christmas is also a swizz, using his usual catchphrase to describe it. Millennium, my ass, it's just another bloody swizz they've come up with to bloody rip me off, isn't it? It's a complete bloody racket now, Christmas, isn't it? To swizz the bloody lot of it. Dad, 
it's Christmas Day. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. One of my favourite parts is when the mom, Barb, asks everyone gathered around if they enjoyed the turkey. Did you like that turkey, Jim? A little bit dry, wasn't it, Barb? Did you, Mum? I've never liked turkey, Barbara. Did you like it, Dave? Mm, could take it or leave it, me, Barbara. Did you like it, Denise? No, I didn't like it. It's no flavour. How about you, Anthony? Mm, not bothered, really. No. Oh, I don't think I'll bother getting the turkey next Christmas. Turkey at mm. Christmas. Not the hell, Bob. Don't be such a bloody killjoy. Well, you all made me get a Christmas pudding, but none of you have had any. We're getting into end of episode spoiler territory now, so if you want to avoid spoilers, go watch it and come back to listen to the rest. Or skip ahead a minute or so. Towards the end of the episode, Dave is dropping Nana back home, and Anthony has gone to his girlfriend's. Denise's water breaks in the bathroom, and Jim is sent to sit with her whilst Barb tries to get a taxi, and Dave. Jim puts on her birthing tape, which plays a choral version of P.A. Yezu, and then asks her if she didn't just have a big wee. However, the tone soon changes, as Denise reveals to her dad about her fears and her worries about having the baby and being a good parent. Jim replies with a speech that breaks my heart every time, especially contrasted to his usual angry, bemused nature. Ricky Tomlinson brings all of his acting chops to add some real gravitas to the scene that I'll let you just hear a little bit of. How do you remember the first time your mum... when your mum put, put you in my arm and I looked at you? Oh, God, you were beautiful and I knew... I knew then I'd do anything for you, anything for you, and I, Anthony. He of course reverts back to his usual self when Barb says she's ordered a taxi and he grumbles that it's going to cost bloody double on Christmas Day, as well as going around to make sure all the lights are off before they go. With a wonderful closing joke, Tell the driver to follow that star. <laughs> we end on a camera pan around their beautifully garish Christmassy front room to the tune of The Pretenders. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. I absolutely love this special and it always makes me think of a very British Christmas with the family watching an odd stage version of The Snowman on television, drinking snowballs, which is Advocar, an egg, vanilla and brandy alcohol drink, and lemonade, and generally sitting around in a grumbly post-Christmas dinner argumentative haze. For each episode or special, I'm going to rank them according to my own festive system of 10 mince pies, with 10 mince pies, of course, being the best of the best. I give this episode 
8.5 out of 10 mince pies, as it manages to balance British cynicism with true heart amidst a family that, for all their arguments and silliness, really love each other. And I feel that's about as accurate as a British Christmas can get. For those growing up in the UK, every Christmas brought something just as exciting to pop-obsessed kids like myself. The Christmas number one. For some reason, having a song at the top of the charts when Christmas Day rolls around became a rather important accomplishment for artists, with the prestige of hitting the top spot somehow being more important than at any other time of the year. Early Christmas number ones include the Beatles, including three years in a row between 1963 to 1965, Tom Jones and Elvis Presley. The first actually festive song to hit number one in the UK was Dickie Valentine in 1955, with the almost Sesame Street-esque Christmas alphabet. H is for the happiness with all the family. R is for the reindeer prancing by the window pane. The race for Christmas number one really first took the nation by storm in 1973 when the term Christmas number one became widespread. Two glam bands, Slade and Wizard, fought for the coveted position. Slade won the war with the classic Merry Christmas Everybody, but Wizard's I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day has become just as if not more popular. A string of Christmas theme tracks continued to take number one, such as Lonely This Christmas by Mud in 1974, Mary's Boy Child by Boney M in Charity Super Smash, Do They Know It's Christmas, in 1984. And Mistletoe and Wine, by that guy, Cliff Richard, in 1988. Some pop classics that endure in the public imagination until today also made it to number one on the 25th of December, including Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, and Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, which actually was Christmas number one twice, 
firstly upon its initial release in 1975 and upon re-release in 1991 after the tragic death of frontman Freddie Mercury. Two other Christmas songs made it to Christmas number one on multiple occasions, albeit with different musicians. Can you guess which ones? Well, Do They Know It's Christmas has been top of the charts at Christmas three times, with Band-Aid, Band-Aid 2 in 1989, featuring 80s artists such as Bananarama and Kylie, and then Band-Aid 20 in 2004, with some more modern artists such as Chris Martin of Coldplay, Tom York of Radiohead, and Dizzy Rascal adding some lyrics of his own crafting in his particular style. The other Christmas song that made it to number one twice, with two different artists, was Mary's Boy Child. It made it to number one initially with Harry Belafonte in 1957, and then the more popular version nowadays with Boney M in 1978. Only one other band paralleled the Beatles record of three Christmas number ones in a row. Can you guess who it was? Well, with a new tour just announced, it was the girl power of the Spice Girls who claimed the title from 1996 to 1998. For some, the Christmas number one has also been a place for fear and danger and worry with novelty songs galore. From the schmaltz of There's No One Quite Like Grandma from the St. Winifred School Choir to the absolutely terrifying Mr. Blobby in 1993, to the hordes of kids that forced their poor parents to buy Can We Fix It? from kids show character Bob the Builder in 2000. I could go on and on, but I'll cover the race for Christmas number one post 2000 in a future episode because there's a whole lot more to explore and share once things go digital. With Christmas songs in mind, we head into the third and final part of the show where we'll hear a bit of a classic British Christmas hit and I'll share some facts and interesting covers. Whilst we're on the topic, let's focus on that first proper Christmas number one with a 70s glam smash, Merry Christmas Everybody, from the black country rockers Slade. band's best-selling single, having sold well over a million copies in the UK. The track was created in separate parts by different band members. The singer, Noddy Holder, had thought of the chorus for another track called Buy Me A Rocking Chair. The bassist, Jim Lee, thought up the verse melody. Holder went out drinking and stayed up all night at his mum's house to create the lyrics, which he said reflected a British family Christmas. And with the country suffering from strikes, he wanted to look to the future and cheer them up. The band recorded the song in the hallway of a studio in a New York skyscraper to get an echoey vibe, which apparently confused 
a lot of American businessmen wandering past a group of odd-looking Brits wailing about Christmas in the middle of September. Anyway, it worked out, as the track was a smash hit, beating Wizard to the number one spot and staying there well into January to the bemusement of the band, considering its very specific seasonal content. According to an article in the Daily Telegraph in 2015, the song is said to create around £500,000 worth of royalties each year. How about we hear a few interesting cover versions? First up is a sumptuous slow version from Janet Devlin in 2016. We go a little more heavy with the next version. This is Pulled Apart by Horses from 2014. Stepping a little further back in time, closer to the initial release, the British punk outfit, The Foreskins, I'm not going to say anything about that, released a frantic version in 1981. And how much more British can you get than Oasis, who released a Britpop-style cover for a charity album in 2002. Does your granny always tell ya that the old songs are the best? She be up and rock and rollin' with the rest. So here it is, Merry Christmas. Everybody's having fun. Look to the future now. So. of any awesome covers of Merry Christmas Everybody, please get in touch and let me know. That about wraps it up for this first episode of Merry Britsmas. I hope you enjoyed learning a few things whilst getting some of those Christmas feels. And I hope you tune in next time, where I'll be exploring the Royal Christmas Speech, some more Yuletide glam at number one, and more Christmas telly. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.